You're listening to TFM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. I'm here to talk to you about the Avengers Initiative. And here to talk with me about, well, what's left of the Avengers is John Mills. Yeah, you'll have to forgive me, Matt. Um, somehow five years have passed since that opening and when I started speaking, and now I'm a lovable, cuddly half-monster that um, has all of the brains that you're used to and uh, and all of the brawn that you want. So there you go. I'm the perfect combination of everything. Really? Nothing is, could be is, wrong with this idea. Is that is that what I wanted? Because I don't know. I hmm. So... Hmm. So you want to be even brainier? Because I don't know if that's possible. Like super intelligent, superhero, mm. indestructible is kind of mm. tough to top. Literally biting my tongue right now. Anyway, before we dive into talking about <laughs> Avengers sure. Endgame, we want to remind you uh, that you can find us wherever you get your podcasts and wherever you're listening. Uh, please just make sure you're subscribed. You'll get all the 602 Club feed as soon as the episodes drop. Uh, we'd also love if you would follow us on Twitter over at the 602 Club. We're on Instagram at the 602 Club TFM. We would really appreciate it. Uh, and those uh, places that you're uh, following us uh, podcast-wise, Apple Podcasts or Spotify, places where you can rate us on those platforms, please do that. It helps people find the show. You can also find us on Facebook with the entire network at facebook.com slash trackfm. There's our listeners-only discussion group, and you can talk to listeners from all over the world about different shows that are happening, Is of course, the 602 Club as well. And, of course, you can find us online at trek.fm. So, John, obviously this was a momentous occasion when Endgame was going to come out. Mm. And, you know, it had been, you know, it's 22 films uh, with this one. It's the 22nd film in the the Marvel franchise. So, and we're working on bringing Phase 3 home. I know this feels like this should be the end of Phase 3, but it's not going to be. There will be one more film after this. But I wanted to ask you, just kind of thinking back, how are you feeling when this movie was, was coming out? And did you see this one in the theater? First and foremost, I want to correct you that since we have retroactively added Howard the Duck, it's the 23rd uh, well, MCU yes, movie. I, so You're right. I, so I was know. discounting that because that l- works for us, <laughs> but not everybody would consider Howard the Duck an MCU film. Therefore, uh, it's, you know, you know. I, we'll call us orthodox MCU fans. <laughs> yes. So I like that. <laughs> I like it very much. Uh, <laughs> Um, just thank goodness that the Daredevil show overwrote the uh, Daredevil appearance in the Incredible Hulk TV movie that happened because oh, I'm old enough to God remember for that. that. Yeah. Woo, well, I mean, we boy. don't even want to have to think about, you know, the uh, Ben Affleck version. So. Oh, well, that too. So anyway, yeah, I mean, like everybody else in the world uh, who paid attention to movies, it was like, oh, my gosh, Endgame's coming out. I was excited because everybody had a theory about what was going to happen. I was holding on to hope against hope that Nebula was going to be the one to tip everything because that would be the ultimate nod to 
um, the the original Infinity Gauntlet series um, because it was Nebula that uh, that that did it to him that time. But mainly, you know, it was all of the speculation about where's Cap going to end up, where's everybody going to end up. People speculating was Thanos trapped in the Soul Stone, and that's why the you know he was talking to little baby Gamora uh, at the end and stuff like that. Uh, and yeah, I saw it in the movie theater. I'm pretty sure on opening weekend, I actually went with a, a colleague of mine and his wife. I went to the, uh, the, the AMC at Disney Springs and we settled in and I remember rationing how much liquid I consumed because I knew it was three hours and I said, okay, and I know there's going to be a lot of revelations in here. So I'm just pacing myself. What about you? Yeah. You know, it, it's not just because this is more recent, but I, this was one of the most memorable experiences in the theater when it came to seeing it. Because, you know, I'm seeing it, you know, the Thursday night showing. Everybody's excited to be there. I mean, the the it's one of those things where you've been in a theater before where just the anticipation for the movie is palpable. You can just feel the energy and the crowd is ready to explode at every little single thing. And they literally did every moment that possibly you could, you know, cheer for people were cheering for, you know, when captain Marvel first shows up and saves the day and brings them back to earth, you know, people are cheering for that. I mean, the moment where Cap pulls the hammer for the first time and everybody, I mean, the place exploded. You know, you would have thought that Jesus had walked in. It was that <laughs> kind of, you know, um, it was it was a, a rapturous experience at the theater. You know, it's one of the things where when people talk about, you know, the importance of the theater experience with other people around you, I think this is kind of what they're talking about. And so it was special, right? And and I think it's the kind of thing that movies can do. Um, and um, this was something that people were just excited for. So, no, I, I was right there with you. Very excited for the film to see it finally. And, you know, I, I think part of that is – and one of the things I wanted to ask you is is obviously a lot of our core characters didn't have as much screen time in Infinity War. And – it really seemed like they were they were setting up to make time for a lot of the characters that we knew were probably going to be moving on, like mm-hmm. Cap, like you know Black Widow, like Iron Man, like Thor, we're, uh, even Hulk. We're giving all of these kind of mainline characters that have been with us from Phase 1 their time to shine. And so I wanted to start with asking you how you felt like they paid off all of that waiting with these characters and kind of where, you know, they end up by the end of the film. Well, I mean, first and foremost, it's commendable that they took the risk on a three hour movie that they 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 were able to say and be honest with themselves and say, listen, runtime is not going to keep anybody out of the theater on this one. The, we have a, a solid fan base. They want it. They need it. They're going to show up for it. And I think that runtime is what gave them the opportunity to really give everyone a moment to shine. To your point, they gave everybody that necessary moment because you knew they were basically refreshing the line. And um, 
what's interesting is what it calls to mind for me. Um, although the movies are not comparable in any, <laughs> in any cinematic sense, but it's sort of like Transformers, the movie that came out in 1986. The whole point of that was to refresh the toy line. And so you had a lot of like big emotional beats and stuff like that because it was a, a treat for people who had stayed with the show and were fans of the show, kids who had grown up with it. And so I think they do a great job of giving like legitimate heartfelt moments and arcs to everybody. We'll quibble back and forth, I'm sure, about certain things that they choose to do. But uh, I mean, I'm I I don't I don't see anything except for two characters. There are two characters where I might quibble with how they resolve things with them. But otherwise, mm-hmm. you know, I I mean, I I thought they they pretty much stuck the landing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think. You're kind of right on target with that. Um, you know, I think with these mainline characters, uh, they, I think the best thing they do, like you said, and it absolutely nailed this idea, is that three hours helps you to be able to spend time, especially at the beginning of the movie, not to rush the film, to allow these characters to kind of sit in their grief, to sit in their failure, basically, um, you know, and even have the that that moment of, you know, where the failure really sets in, where they think all hope is lost because you know Thanos is doesn't have the stones anymore. He and and even killing him makes no difference, right? And so everybody kind of takes that really difficultly, and uh, so. Uh, that's something that I found really, really interesting because I, I I feel like the beginning of the film is one of the best parts of it because it doesn't rush all of this pain that these characters go. And these are the characters that you feel the most for. So, you know, when you have Cap struggling, when you have Natasha struggling, um, when you see, you know, even um, the way uh, Tony is dealing with things, it's it's you feel every moment of that because you've been with these characters the longest and, 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 and they let you sit in it for a while. Well, let me ask you this question because this is something that I've entertained ever since this rewatch, because this was my first time rewatching it since the movie theater, because three hours and four minutes, it's tough to get that, you know, secured uh, to, to watch straight through. And I didn't want to watch it in chunks necessarily. So I, I eventually get to this rewatch and I said, okay, and I, I stayed up late so that I could do the, the full viewing. And something I wonder about is we don't necessarily see eye to eye about the ending for Infinity War. I think it's satisfying. I think it, it, it wraps up really well. You could treat it as a resolved story at that point. But there's almost a part of me that wonders if there's some reshuffling possible wherein we could have had this prologue part as the ending of Infinity War, where they wind up killing Thanos but still losing. And so it truly is a really gutting ending to Infinity War. Now what you lose by transposing it there instead of here is this is a really slick way to have a recap after a year. It's 
it's a way to recap it and bring people up to the point, bring them back up to speed. Oh, yeah, Thanos is this. This is where he is. This is all of that sort of stuff because not everybody spent a lot of time rewatching Infinity War but because that's two and a half hours and that's kind of its own ask. What do you think about that idea? Do you think there's any merit to having mm-hmm. this prologue be the end of Infinity War and then pick up five years later? I think personally for myself, and I, I think just as I you know, rewatch the film, I think that this works better the way it is because I, I think I think the gut punch feels more like one when you do feel like and I mean you know I, we know they're gonna solve this somehow right but y- the movie allows you to kind of wallow like the characters do in the pain of loss in the pain of not knowing what to do feeling like there is nothing to do other than try to move on and how in the world is that even possible so that you know, you have those moments where Cap is, you know, in, in the therapy session, you know, with people who are trying to figure out how to move on. You, you have the the frustration of Natasha still doing this job. And, you know, Steve's like, do you need to be doing this? Do we need to be doing this job? You know, like, um, at least on Earth, it seems like, you know, things seem to be pretty copacetic for the most part. But she doesn't know what else to do uh, other than you know, would just leave her to fall apart. And so I, I just, or even rewatching it here, I just felt like by having a slow burn at the beginning, it makes everything else feel more like a payoff when we get there. And so I don't know if I would have wanted this in any way different than it is. I don't disagree with that. Okay, because I do agree it's a really good opening. Where I struggle is specifically saying five years later. I know why they do. I know why they have to. And it makes story sense. There are so many things that happen in those five years. They've tried to move on. All of those sorts of things. However, that that five years later jump, besides the fact that they break their own font rules and uh, the font choices are all over the place here, but... um. Yeah, <laughs> that su- that leap. I remember the first time watching it, where it goes out, and I remember they kill Thanos, but it doesn't solve anything. And just thinking to myself, "Oh my gosh, this is really bold what they've done here." Five year, five years later, you know, like it just feels like mm-hmm. I don't know why it irks me. It almost feels like what is necessary is to break up that so it's not just snap five years later. No no pun intended with snap. But maybe that's the point where the Ant-Man um, uh, stinger should have been, right? Almost like a it opens with, uh, you know, with Hawkeye losing his family, which is a great open to it. Right. And then it jumps forward, uh, you know, to what we're doing. It feels like maybe there should have been some room for Ant-Man to show why he was where he was, as opposed to the fact that you have to have watched the credits of the movie that came out two movies ago. Right. To see that. They do a good enough job of explaining it, obviously, but 
I wonder. I mean, it's it's so emotionally effective to have Hawkeye lose his family in the beginning. It's extremely really gets you right back into the 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 frame of mind. But do you think there's any way they could have worked in the Ant Man part of it? Or would that have just been too much of an ask? Yeah, that's an interesting question. And and I think, you know, it is one of those things where I mean, the, the timelines of these things, you know, as we talked about over the last few weeks, it felt like they just got a little bit discombobulated. Uh, and, and like when things came out and how it all worked together, you know, I, again, I think Captain Marvel is more effective, you know, if it's switches places with Ant-Man and the Wasp, you know, mm-hmm. since that literally leads right into, you know, I just, I think that works better. So, uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I think it's interesting that you've you've taken this kind of thought process because to me you know i i would say honestly the very best part of this movie i thought and think is actually just this beginning which really um so many times in the mcu we've kind of just blown past these massive emotional stakes that have happened to these people you know and they just kind of roll with it and this movie seemed to really stop for a minute and allow these characters to feel the loss, feel what happens, you know, mm-hmm. in a way that felt more realistic and made all of their choices um, much different. Um, and, and especially when I think of, you know, obviously the choice that, you know, Natasha ends up making and then the choice at the very end that Steve makes and um, just the the choice, of course, that even Tony has to make, you know, um, that these characters have kind of come to a place where they're all, they've all grown, they've all evolved and everything. And so then the choices they're making here and the sacrifices they're going to make here are actually going to like, especially I think those three characters, it's the best, it's the most well done, um, where you just kind of, it resonates with you, um, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, what you want, which is why I think, like you said, you know, starting with Hawkeye losing his family is such a gut punch because, it really makes something of one of the few things that was enjoyable about Age of Ultron, right? Which was learning that Hawkeye had this family and his relationship with his wife and, and all of those type of things. And that he, mm-hmm. like Scott, had basically given up, you know, the superhero life um, to... Uh, you know, stay at home over her house arrest and he was done with it, you know. And then, of course... The decision he makes, you know, to become Ronin, um, you know, mm-hmm. after that because he just is completely lost. So, yeah, I don't know. That's a that's a really interesting question because I just hadn't thought about that at all. Um, but I I think to me it it comes across as more. I wish the final films in this section of MCU here for Phase Three just felt as cohesive as some of those, you know, even phase one, I think is probably the most cohesive. Obviously there's less films and you're not Mm. trying to jam all this stuff together. And, you know, um, this is, is just a little messier because you start 
you know, films don't get finished on time when they're supposed to. And that means yeah. storylines have to change a little bit. And See, so. I, I think probably the thing that I, I wind up, it's not even struggling. The, the whole reason I'm like, you know, well, what about this? What about that? Is there are decisions here, story-wise and editing-wise, that don't really work as, like, it's one of those things where, again, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts, right? Because there are certain parts of this where it's just, eh, they kind of miss the mark. Now, obviously, I'm just going to go ahead and jump into it. I, I made allusion to it twice now. Shrek Hulk. I mm-hmm. hate the way they got to where they got with Hulk. I don't hate that they got there half as much as I hate how they got there. I also don't care for the way that they had... They just... They they made this weird choice to turn him into comic relief, and I didn't care for it. It seems that Hulk, a Hulk who is at peace with himself, should be much more, much more zen-like, if you will, less of a comedian, and less of a a a fame hound as he seems to be. You know, taking the the selfie with the kids and all of that stuff. It seems like he'd be a really sober, rational guy, like. The way that he got there was not just to be calmer and nicer, but to be really almost Jedi-like in his approach to everything. So he's not necessarily the life of the party, and he's not really funny, but he's a calming presence, which I think would would have been a bolder decision. And it's like, I think some of these editing things where I'm I'm like, ah, oh, well, maybe, maybe this would have worked better, maybe that would have worked better, is really stemming from that specific choice after the five years just kind of irks me. It doesn't yeah. feel earned. Does it feel yeah. earned to you? No, I, I think the problem is, is here. They have, they have no idea what to, to do with the Hulk. You know, they try to set this up in, in, uh, you know, infinity war that he's going through this, you know, existential crisis between him and the Hulk. And, you know, and unfortunately part of that set up in a terrible movie um, with, Ragnarok and it again it's just all done as comic relief so you never take it seriously and then by this point he's just comic relief again so none of it is taken seriously there's no weight at all to his storyline and there's less weight to CGI so I mean it's a I guess it balances out um, yeah, you know, yeah, fair enough, it, fair enough. It's it's just it, the whole thing is is I think a lost opportunity to treat the Hulk with any kind of respect as a character and that is disappointing because, as we talked about, uh, you know, I think we start off on the right foot with the Incredible Hulk, and he just slips off a cliff after that as a character. You know, they they just don't know what to do with him. And I think the, the other part of that, then on top of that, I would add, is that the other character that I just don't think works as well now, it makes a little bit more sense, but it still played too much of a joke to really bring it home for me is is Thor. Thor was done so perfectly in Infinity War, dealing with his pain. He can, he can barely even make jokes. He's trying to, but he can't, right? And here it just, 
I think it would have been much more effective to ha- have him be the sourpuss drunk, you know, than actually be this funny, like, hey, hey, hey everything's I, fine. I'm fine. We're all fine, you know. I completely agree with you. Uh, somebody who descends into the bottle, especially after five years, is not funny anymore. No. They're they're pitiable. You, I trust me. We've all encountered somebody like this by this point in our lives. It's sad. Even when they try to be funny, you just feel bad for them, and you just and you think to yourself, and it's really tough because it's like. You know, what What do you do? Like, at what point is an intervention? You know, all of these sorts of things. And it's a really complex thing trying to figure out. Now, I think there are moments with Thor that do work. I think the moment with his mom is really sweet. I think that if you scaled back the comedy, it actually is one of the few times you can see a recognition of what a you know what a lot of hardcore drinking and um eating and pain can do to somebody um just in terms of like changing them physically and i know that people had a lot of problems with the nickname that came up for him and stuff like that but at the same time it's like i don't know I don't know how else to to nickname him than what what they gave him. I know that they're, I, I'm, you know, Lebowski Thor is the most, uh, you know, the the, the most. I mean, uh, Tony gives him that kind. nickname, right? I mean, yeah. I, I think <laughs> so. I think I think that you're right. Scaling back the comedy and turning him. Not morose. You don't want him to to bring down the room necessarily. But just finding a little bit better balance of he's pretending like everything's okay and you know mm-hmm. that it isn't because all of the grief that they're dealing with. And I think maybe that's what's interesting, what's weird about how Hulk and Thor are is Thor is too far in one direction. Hulk is too far in the other direction. And they should both be a little bit closer to the center where they're pretending like, no, no, I'm fine. It's no big deal. And you know that it's a big deal. And I think that would have made it work even better when he has his moment with his mom. Because that's that's a potential real tearjerker moment. You know, where where he is, where he finds out, I'm still worthy. Now, I still mm-hmm. have a little bit of a problem with the fact that he then has Stormbringer and Mjolnir. And it's like, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, you gave him his eye back and he's got Stormbringer and he's got Mjol. I mean, why don't you just turn him into Captain Marvel at this point for Pete's sake? I mean, he's nigh indestructible now. (laughs) Yeah, that was, um, that was interesting. Of course, then we wouldn't have gotten the ultimate moment of the film, Mm. you know, with Cap. So you want to talk about a crowd cheering moment. I remember my theater erupting and I cheered too. I listen, yeah. I know everybody sits there and they, they, they might listen to me and they're like, oh, he's so hard hearted. He's such a curmudgeon. No, I cheered with everybody else because seeing Cap call Mjolnir was the moment of the movie. Yeah, that was well, the, and then that was the one. 
a place where humor worked really well, where Thor was like, I knew it, you know, right. because it, it plays all the way back to that one moment in, in, in uh, Age, of, Age Ultron, of Ultron, which yeah. is so, so great where he's like, huh? you know, where right. uh, it's just the side eye, like what? So, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's absolutely the crowd cheering moment. So I, let's talk about, you know, we, we talked about the other two. Well, let's talk about Cap. Um, you know, I, I wanted to ask you specifically of his choice at the end and, and what you think of that, because I want to lay this out for a second, because I don't quite understand the time travel in this movie is very consistent until that moment, which is that once you go back to the past, that is now everything that's happened has happened to you. You go back, that's your future than moving forward so it's like you're not changing what happened in the, but if he goes back to the past has a relationship with peggy like then that means that she in the would not have done or, or, or i don't know i just it breaks my brain it i agree with you it's a cheap get to give Cap his happy ending. You and I went back and forth a bit on it when it first came out. I don't know if you remember, because I said I didn't care for it because Cap's whole character is defined by that pain. Sure. And to give him that happy life afterward is, it's really something just to make the fans feel like, okay, Cap had his happy ending sort of thing. Right. I think that it would be it would have been easy for them to have constructed it in such a way where Cap went back and they're like, where is he? Where is he? And they go over and they see an old man. It would have extended the movie too much, but there's got to be some sort of explanation of I, I just – I let myself age and I came back. I mean, never mind the fact – that it sort of breaks a little bit of the thinking of the super soldier serum because why would cap age at the precisely accurate rate sort of thing? I mean, mean, at that point he's what probably over 200. So sure. But I get why they did it. I think they should have just had him disappear and say what happened to him Mm -hmm. and then have people have it be like another funeral moment of because they just had Tony and have another funeral moment and have people standing there saying, you know what? Maybe he found a way to Mm -hmm. to have a happy life after all. Yeah. I I mean, I I don't I don't hate it, but I, I at all. And I, I still like it, but I just think that, you know, the way they had explained the time travel thing made mm-hmm. it make sense. But this one makes it harder to accept that something can't change if he's right. gone back in the past. And yes, everything would have then happened because that would have been his past now. So that can't actually change. But it's like, 
how, I, how do you get to the future that they're at sitting there? While I, it that's just, that's you know, why again, that's so. why I think it's better just to have him disappear. Yeah, and have them that. say maybe he decided just to blend into history and see mm-hmm. it from a different perspective. Yeah, yeah. not be the I, hero, I just, and then have Sam still pick up the shield. And the thing is, sure. we're going to take a hiatus after Spider Man uh, No Way Home, but. This exchange between Cap and Sam at the end really makes the Falcon and the Winter Soldier get under my skin a little bit more because it's very clear that he is handing the mantle over to Sam and saying, Mm -hmm. you're Captain America now. Yeah, and Bucky's right there and gives him the nod like, yeah, you are. And there should have been the show was constructed as if this moment didn't happen. And that bothers me. But we'll yeah, get to that. Yeah, I mean, it's we'll constructed in a way so that, they, yeah, I know what you mean. But uh, in the end, I think you know, one of the things that made this movie so great was the fact that, you know, uh, Chris Evans really does get to shine in all the things that really make this character who he's been to us as fans for so long. And, you know, all of his moments of trying to help other people and trying to find hope wherein he can't even find any and you know um you know the moment where he fights himself and he's like yeah yeah i know um and uh, you know you're just kind of showing how much he's changed but at the same time how much hasn't changed you know and of course then by being able to pull milner to himself you know realizing that he is completely worthy because he's never He's become the ultimate Avenger, you know, mm-hmm. the one to which everybody still looks to. Uh, and, and I think, you know, it just makes a great story for him. And, it, of course, like you said, biggest crowd-pleasing moment ever. Oh, my gosh. I, that I, I, yeah. I have not been in a theater that has cheered that loudly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I'm sure I've been in a theater where it's cheered as loudly as that. But I can't recall it because this is very recent. But it was such a moment. It was such a perfect moment. I mean, the Russo brothers deserve so much credit for including it. But I will also say that let just as a counterpoint to it, because we talked about the problem here with Hulk, the problem with Thor, Cat being perfect. Man, this rewatch really reinforced that they just did not know what the heck to do with Captain Marvel. Every time they needed they yeah. needed a Deus Ex Machina, Captain Marvel. We can't get Tony home. Captain Marvel shows up. We gotta find Thanos. Captain Marvel shows up. Uh we're all getting our butts handed to us by Thanos at the end. Captain Marvel shows up. And the, the girls whole... line up to help Captain Marvel. She doesn't need your help. The less literally I say doesn't about, need your help. The less I say about that moment, the less trouble I'll get into. Yeah, that's it's, okay. It's been it's been downplayed by a lot of people these days. Um, that you know realize that they just went too far. So. That that moment is very much a pandering moment. And I prefer not to think about it because I, I rolled again here. Yeah. But Captain Marvel becomes a cheat code in this movie, and that bothers me 
because if you're going to have her in the movie yeah. and have her have lines like, oh, well, you know, Earth isn't the only one going through this. It, that's a good line. That's a poignant line. You just explained why she wasn't here. Okay, cool. But she can still show up at precisely the right moment. It reinforces that they had a Superman problem and that she was included for the sake of, you know, tying her in. And if I recall yeah. I mean, she correctly. She had time to get a haircut. You know, yeah, so. it's true. I, I'm glad at least uh, Rocket could call that one out. Yes. But, thank, thank you, Rocket. <laughs> but jog my memory. Wasn't the case that Captain Marvel had not been made and so the the writing team didn't quite know what to do with her? In this movie, and so this is a reflection yep. of the fact that it's like, well, yep. where is she going to be anyway? Yeah, they'd use her as little as possible because they had no idea where her character was going to be. Do you think it would have been it would have been better just to have her not in it? I, you know, I don't know how you do that um, because obviously, the, yeah, I don't know that. And this is again, this is where the timeline thing just really ends up kind of hurting. Uh, you know, the the making of these films is when things aren't ending on time and writing isn't done, you know. It's a little bit like the sequel trilogy, you know, when you don't really know how things are going to end in one movie, it's hard to know how things are going to end in the next movie and yada, yada, yada. So, uh, it, yeah, if you don't know where all your pieces are in the board... Before you start making the next film, it does hurt. And you're absolutely right. They just, they don't know what to do with her. Um, and and so. the thing is, I I think they don't quite know what to do with Hulk. And they don't quite know what to do with Thor. And so the, those are the three characters where you notice everybody has the most problems with are the three that they struggled with to to get them quite right. Now, let's go ahead and jump to it. Where Black Widow gets the best arc that she's ever had in the entire series. And suddenly, I'm extremely glad that Scarlett Johansson was chosen to play her. Because it pays off big time here. I really feel for this character. And I was deeply deeply uh affected by her you know her choice at the end of it all to get the soul stone because going all the way back to the first avengers movie her relationship with hawkeye is established there it carries over the chemistry between jeremy renner and scarlett johansson is authentic and that scene where she makes her decision, Scarlett Johansson deserves a lot of credit, as does Jeremy Renner, for yeah, making the fact that this is a scene filmed basically in a green room still work as well as it does. Mm -hmm. this, is, this is an actor and an actress truly demonstrating the power of their craft. And... Black Widow, it's almost like they finally knew what to do with her in a movie to make me feel emotionally connected to her. Mm -hmm. And what better moment than this to choose, right? Yeah, I mean, I 
I can't agree with you more. Uh, you know, this is just a phenomenal piece of filmmaking when it comes to this character. And you absolutely feel for her and her choice. And, and the fact that she sees and knows the good in this guy and knows that he has so much to live for because they are going to be bringing his family back and that if he can live, he has a chance for redemption and to become the person he used to be. And she's willing to sacrifice. I mean, she just, she lives up to the best ideals of, of, everything we know of what it means to love somebody, which is to give your life up for them, you know? And I, I think it's also pretty beautiful that, you know, this relationship has always felt above board, you know? It's never felt there like any kind of sexuality to it, you know? These two are best friends. They love each other, you know? Um, and they're willing to do whatever it takes for each other. I mean, you know, they're, they're both willing to give their lives for each other. She just happens to be a little better at him, you know, in that fight and, and make the ultimate sacrifice. So I think that's also what makes this so great is that there really is such a titanic struggle between the two of them that ends with her winning the final battle between them. And that winning ends with death, you know, I mean, it's it's. It's terribly moving, and I think she gets one of the most heroic ends that we see. Yeah. I I, I I honestly think her death is not equal to, but, and it happens at the exact right moment of the movie, about the halfway point-ish, or end of the second act, where she dies and... It is a terrific setup for Tony's death later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And it is just about as emotionally effective as Tony's death. Because she's, to, to your point, she's making a choice not just for Clint, but for his family. Because she's projecting out and saying, if we succeed... I don't want your family to have to live without you, which is that's a tremendous level and layer to put on things. And it's and then it's almost it's it's not the inverse, but it, it it's a perfect compliment, I think. And this is why the writing should be congratulated. It's a perfect compliment to the fact that Tony is saying, I have to give up everything that finally made me happy and whole. Mm-hmm. For the good of the entire world, yep. the entire yep. universe, I have to give all of that up and hopefully set an example for my child that she understands mm-hmm. why I had to do that. I, I think that's a, a yeah. beautiful thing. Beautiful thing. Yeah. No, you're 100% right. Um, I think that's just something that works so well with this film and 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 specifically and I like you said you know with all the moments where we kind of complain a little bit where they're having to make up for Scarlett Johansson's uh, you know uh ability uh in the fight scenes you know all of that matters not when it comes to what she pulls off here in this these final few scenes you know especially with Jeremy Renner 
and it just you know it it means so much and, and I mean even think of the way that she plays that scene where she finds Ronan and she tells him there's a chance you know and that there's a chance for redemption for him you know it's just a, a it's all so heartbreaking and I think that's the thing that's that's really great here is that by allowing this movie to focus on these more core characters it is more moving in every way shape and form and then like you said they do a, a, an incredible job of you know tony completely being this guy that we never thought he could be which is the father which is the caretaker which is all of these things he's still got a lot of tonyisms to him right but he's a dad now and the, the the daughter they have that you know, she's an incredible little actress and, and does such a great yeah. job with all the scenes. So it just breaks your heart when he dies and then, you know, uh, Pepper's there to remind him we're going to be – to let him know you can rest. We're going to be okay. Because, it, again, this movie is making good on a lot of the promises from Age of Ultron that never really felt right. And – we finally make all those things mean something here. Um, this man who has felt completely restless ever since this thing's been in his head, and he finally can rest. And 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 that's the thing we're allowing you know characters like Tony and Cap and and Black Widow to rest. These characters who have lived you know lifetimes within their lifetime and just never felt like they could rest. Now they can. Now, before we get to talking about the effects, because we love to talk about the effects, everybody loves to talk about the effects. I got to talk about the soundtrack. Because I think they made good choices here. I also think that some choices here feel a little bit too imitative of gun. And what's odd about it is it feels like they're grafting on some of James Gunn's style onto a movie that's their own. And I don't have a huge problem with it. It's not like I'm lodging like a giant complaint or the movie's bad because of it or anything like that. But it seems odd. Does it seem odd to you that they make... they? Like there are just these two specific choices where they suddenly it's almost like they had James Gunn sitting in the editing bay with them and saying, oh, this is the song I would have chosen for this moment. Like it just feels a little weird because that feels like that Star Lord's thing, not Tony's thing or the Avengers thing. Am I just being a little bit too critical on that? You know, I hadn't even thought about it. You know, the choice and in, in the needle drops that they make um, in the film. I I really had not even thought about it. So I guess for me, it, it didn't really uh, bother me at all. Um, yeah, I, I, I want to be very clear that it, it bother is too strong a word even. Sure. But it feels, no, a, little, saying, it, though, it yeah. feels a little bit like they adapted to try mm-hmm. to imitate. Right, right. And they did a fine job with it. They they made good choices, but it just felt like well, that's a James that's that's a Star Lord thing. That's not a this thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, yeah, because I I mean, I you know I don't see it as being a 
uh, as big a deal, but just because Tony is like that, he loves his needle drops, you know? Mm. Um, but, you know, one of the things that I was really impressed with, you know, too, just with the soundtrack, the score, you know, I think Sylvester does a really good job here of finding all of those really powerful emotional moments with the music, you know? Yeah, it, I agree. Uh, when When people are dying or making choices that are difficult or any of those things. I think he just does a really good job. And this is a, this is a really nice score. Uh, and yeah. it, it, um, and it also accentuates all the great moments too, you know, uh, pulling the hammer or on your left, you know, all of those things just, it's, it's so, well, I, he just, I really, you want somebody to knock it out of the park. And, and, and Silvestri has been one of the best of the MCU. So I, I think he does a great job here. I I agree. I, I think Silvestri does a, a terrific job. I, I'm going to ask a question before we get to our whatever quibbles we might have with the visuals and their consistency, that sort of thing. I I need a question answered for myself. When Tony goes and fights at the end of Infinity War, he's got his nanotech stuff. And Thanos very memorably rips his helmet off essentially and destroys it. Yet he's recording on a partially destroyed helmet here as if it were a thing he had put on mm -hmm. like a, a right. normal helmet. Um, I don't care per se, but if I let that part of my brain go, I need somebody to help me out as to where that specific helmet came from, because he was not equipped with a helmet when he went there. Right. Yeah, I, it's an interesting question, because the way nanotechnology works is interesting in the first place. Um, the only thing that I can think of is, you know, in no way home, where we see Peter's suit be ripped, and it can create the helmet, if that's in danger, but it can also create other parts of his, you know, body suit if that's in danger. So I'm wondering if the, you know, what he had left of the nanotechnology allowed him to be able to make a helmet. I honestly think it's one of those things more. They just didn't think about it. And so they're just like, would it be cool if and, and they didn't put a ton of thought into it? But it's like. I don't know. I'm let, I'm willing to let it slide with not understanding nanotechnology. Let so. me be completely clear that I am a I I it 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 is not a big thing for me, but it's one of those things where it's like that tiny little lizard brain part of sure. me. Is yeah. like, well, so where did that come from? Yeah, no, uh, it's the that. same part of my brain that made me write a blog a long time ago about how did Darth Vader poop <laughs> and trying to figure that out. Um, what, and he had those the, like uh, he had basically the, you know the the, you know long underwear that had the flap in the back basically right. Is, he had, oh, see, that, the right? way I reasoned it was when we heard his uh, breathing, he was mm -hmm. actually expelling the waste. Oh, okay, oh, and okay. so it made it even worse to be in Vader's presence because uh, I mean he only has a liquid you know. diet anyway. I mean let's be honest. So you know he 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 only had to pee right. Anyway, that's this is not a Star Wars podcast. Well, I mean, you'd but. still have to. Anyway, anyway, anyway. we, 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 so, we can uh, talk about that. Yeah, you've mentioned it a few times, but you know, this the effects of this movie, and and obviously, we've kind of talked about, you know, the previous films, ones budding up to this one, hadn't had the most consistent effects, 
part of that, I think, is because we knew, you know, Endgame and Infinity War, they film back to back. So that means they're trying to work on all this stuff while they're working on other films like Ant-Man and the Wasp and uh, Captain Marvel. How, I mean, do you feel like it holds up for the most part? Are there parts that really jump out to you or like, whoa, that's not great? I don't care for Shrek Hulk at all. Um, I, I mean, the facial work is great on Shrek Hulk. Like, it, it's weird because Hulk's body seems different than the rest of him in some way. Um, but I do think that there are other parts where it doesn't work quite as well. Again, centered around Banner when they show up to kill Thanos and he's in the Hulkbuster armor, it's floating head again. And I don't, I don't work in the field and, you know, usual, you know, pre-qualifiers with everything. But yeah, there are moments where the comps don't work particularly well. I'll go back to the whole, you know, she's got help scene. The comp work in that and going forward feels very much like they were sitting in the editing bay and they said, you know, let, let's film a pickup and we'll just have them all get together in this scene. Like, that's sort of how it plays visually. I think there were a couple of moments in the final battle, but I forgive so much of that mentally because it's so ambitious and it's so huge. And it still rankles me that people won't give credit to the Phantom Menace back in 1999, which basically said, you can basically have an animated movie now. And here's your Gungans versus battle droids. And it's what's crazy is I think Gungans versus battle droids actually holds up better in some regards than this does. I don't know if it's because there's less visual confusion because something we've harped on with the works of JJ Abrams, for instance, in the sequel trilogy that you referred to earlier I think in the final battle, there's a lot of visual confusion. I don't know specifically where people are, per se. Peter's swinging here. Mjolnir's here. Cap's calling it here. I get a general sense of the ship is one endpoint, and the Avengers building is another endpoint, and it's occurring somewhere between these two endpoints, but I don't have a clear... I can't watch this and say, oh, Peter's there. Iron Man's there. And so it gets very messy around that point. Um, but given what they were going for, it's hard to be too critical of it. I agree with you. Because I think the thing that makes me more forgiving of this than some of the other movies we've talked about recently, especially even like Captain Marvel, is that what's happening here is so engaging that if the effects don't all work... It's fine because I'm engaged with what's happening in the story. And I'm invested in the story because of what's happening with the characters and everything. You know, effects work really, when it when it's not working, is usually an indication that um, if I'm paying attention to that, it's that indication that the storyline is not keeping me focused enough that I'm really starting to pay attention to 
what the effects look like. You know, um, and I think many times, you know, the the effects work is is stuff that you don't really look at until, uh, and and when that's the case, until it's like a rewatch, right? Where like, oh, something might jump out to you because you know you've seen the movie before, um, you know. So I I really don't remember in the theater ever really thinking that and it's only in the rewatches in the theater then um and then this rewatch here at home where it's like oh you can start to pay attention to things more and yeah there are some moments where some compositing isn't great i i one scene that really jumped out to me was when it's uh they're in the destroyed new york in 2012 and when they pop in, it's not great. When they're talking to Ant-Man there before they decide to go back in time even further, it's not great. Um, but it doesn't really matter because I'm I'm really more I'm invested enough in like the characters and I'm focusing enough on them that I'm not thinking about th- that. Oh wow, that that compositing works not fantastic. Let me ask you a question. I'm guessing I might be on the right track. That my reaction the first time I saw it and this time as well, when Loki disappears with the Tesseract, I rolled my eyes the first time I saw it and said to my my work colleague that was there with me, I said, oh boy, this is their excuse. They're going to bring him back somehow. Does him disappearing with the Tesseract tie into the show? Because I haven't watched the show yet. Does that tie into the show that I'm going to get on Disney Plus? Oh, yes. Yeah. Gosh. Darn it. I knew it. I I called it at the time saying that it was a cheat for them to keep Loki going. Gosh, diddle yang, darn it. That really annoys me. Wow. Simmer simmer down there, Flanders. Goodness. Gosh, ding, diddly, ding, This is going to give us an E rating for everyone. (laughs) I am. Listen, man, I didn't want you to have to do the production work of bleeping me, but I could have done it. So, you know, well, you're it, welcome. It's, it is, yeah, I mean, it is going to play into that, but it's all, it also plays into a lot of larger aspects. They, they actually use it as a larger aspect for a really big introduction to the MCU universe as well as the, the multiverse. So it it it's not quite just like, oh, we just have to keep Loki around. It, they do make it, I think, work better anyway that we'll talk about it when we get to loki but all right i uh, so i wanted to ask you about this because the way they do this movie in the sense that they're basically revisiting places that we've been before it could feel like a cheat how did that work for you then and how does it work still for you now at all where you're you're enjoying the fact that we're revisiting basically the greatest hits of the mcu or do you feel like Really, guys? Really? I'm fine with it. I thought it was cute. I mean, it's a way to do fan service without it being um, burdensome. Because the whole point of this movie, let's not dance around it, is to reward everybody that spent 10 years watching. Is to say, we love you too. And so I think hitting these greatest hits and going through and doing these things, it's fine. Like it, even in the context of the movie, it's fun. But in the context of I've spent so much of my life watching this, I'm good with it. Even going back to New York in Mm -hmm. 2012 is, feels a lot like 
just a reward for sticking with it and saying, yeah. you know, they, they're justifying my love sort of thing. And, and, mm-hmm. and the thing is with this rewatch was interesting. And I want to get your thoughts on this. I suddenly understood because I'm older. I suddenly understood why somebody who came into the MCU when they were say 12 years old ish, you flash forward to end game. Why this is such a, for lack of a better word, it's a terrible word to use, but it's lack of a better word, such a sacred movie to them because of that call, those callbacks saying, we love you too. This is a really successful movie in the sense that it, it gives that wink and that embrace to the longtime fans and they've had so much longer to spend with it and so much more material to soak in it. And it's been so formative to their tastes in film that I think it's important for this movie to do those, to have those moments and say, we're going to revisit things and remind you of why we love each other so much. Does that make sense? No, I think it absolutely does. Um, I, I think this movie still works for me in, in moving back into those time periods, you know. And, and I think you know the, the the special thing was is that they they moved back to the point where you know Cap and and Tony have to go back even further, and it's that moment of you know him running into his father, and and it makes yeah. that moment where he makes the ultimate sacrifice even more poignant, and, and it does help inform the fact that the decision that Cap is going to make, right? And I, I think what it does help is that in that moment, by Cap making that decision, he's not being selfish because he shows back up at the same time period. So it's like, you know, like he he's not giving up everything that he ever did. Um, he just because of this cheat basically of time travel, he gets the opportunity to have the thing he never was going to have. So, you know, um, I think all, again, all of that just really works about them visiting these time periods and everything. And it just is a lot of fun. So I, I thought it worked really well. And, and again, it was just a great payoff. Like you said, as being somebody who had followed these movies from the very beginning, from Iron Man all the way to here, it was enjoyable. Yeah. So I I can't fault them for wanting to say, "Hey, thank you for being with us for this long. Here's our thank you to you." So right. Yeah. Um. Was it just as we get you know closer to to wrapping this up? I am interested. Was there anything for you? That in this rewatch either worked better or worse as you were, you know, revisiting this film. <sighs> um The Hulk thing is really the thing that rankled most, along with Captain Marvel. Because I I honestly believe Captain Marvel was just they didn't know what to do with her. And it's just it took me out of it for a hot minute because it 
felt very much like they just said, eh, we don't need to worry about how to resolve this. We'll just have Captain Marvel show up. Tony's lost in the middle of nowhere. He's going to die. Eh, we'll just have Ca- Captain Marvel show up. Yeah. Oh, of all the places in space. You yeah. Because well, you know, oh, space is so small. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we've got a thing. You know, we're getting our butts handed to us. Hey, Captain Marvel can show up. Mm-hmm. Like, I just... That and Hulk really rankle. Like, the yeah. Thor thing was actually... I don't know it sort of stayed on the same plane, and so it was less disappointing. We've talked about this, where like sure. you go back to something, and it's like it, there's less disappointment because you know what to expect. Yeah, and so it's like, yeah, okay, whatever. What about you? Was there anything that uh, worked better or worse? I I think everything was honestly. It, it sounds strange, but I think everything was relatively the same uh, for me. In the sense of the things that didn't work and the things that, you know, still work. And, you know, I think we really did um, walk through all the things to which, you know, I I kind of was a little bit frustrated with uh, and still am. And, and yet, as you're so fond of saying, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts, right? It, it just... Yeah. And so I guess in the end then, what are you going to rate... Endgame. Uh, it jumps up a half star. I had given oh, it three wow. and a half stars. Okay. It goes okay. up to a solid four. Okay. Um, I, could I see it going higher? I don't know. I don't know. But to jump up a half star, uh, that's something. It's a solid Not four. Bad. Where, where are you at with it? You know, um, this movie was at a four. And I think it still stays at a four. It's uh, and and I think the real main reason for that is is just the fact that, you know, those moments with those three characters are frustrating enough that it can't. It does not feel like it can really move up, mm-hmm. legitimately. Um, Fair, you know, and it and this is the first time that I've seen this movie since. The theater. So this was kind of revisiting it very fresh in a lot of ways. And so I feel like, you know, it definitely gave it a, a, a shot. But I, I still find it just a really satisfying... I think this is the thing. It's a satisfying end to the Marvel Cinematic Story. You know, it feels yes. like a satisfying end. and And you feel like... Ah, when you get here. And I think that's really important. So I, I, you know, I guess maybe when I put it in that context, there's a possibility one day it could go up to a four and a half, but you know, um, it probably will stay a four. Uh, I, I think just before we get to our list, I think that's one of the reasons that I and other people look, let's, let's be honest, other people as well, mentally disconnected. And emotionally disconnected from the MCU at this oh, point. Oh, yeah. Because it was oh, like, yeah. we, we're over. We're done. Bye. And I still remember seeing ads for like Black Widow in the mm-hmm. before time and saying, yeah. eh, I don't really care. You know, like yeah. I, I was done. I was mental. And that that's why I did, I, when we uh, talk about uh, Far From Home, that will be the first time that I ever see that movie. Because after Endgame, 
my whole attitude was, eh, I'm done, guys. Thanks. You, you know, I honestly almost wonder, and I, well, we'll talk about it next week. We'll talk about it next yeah. week. So I, I guess that does leave us with the question then of where, you know, you're going to be putting this in your rankings. It's tough, man. This this is a tough one because I know where it goes overall, I think. But, okay, here here's where I'm going to go with it, okay? I'm going to do something unexpected. I'm going to start last place and go oh, wow, up okay. to first. I was, okay. So I'm just going to mess with everybody here. All right, so going from last place to first place, we got Captain Marvel, and that's just going to be there. Unless Eternals is as bad as everybody says it is. Yeah. Avengers Age of Ultron. Then next up, Thor Ragnarok, then Iron Man 2, then Thor The Dark World, then Howard the Duck, then Avengers, then Spider-Man Homecoming, then Thor, then Avengers Infinity War, then Incredible Hulk, then Ant-Man and the Wasp, then Captain America the First Avenger, then Captain America Civil War, then Doctor Strange, then Guardians of the Galaxy, then Black Panther, then Endgame, and then my top five remains solid with, in reverse order, Iron Man, Guardians Volume 2, Ant-Man, Iron Man 3, and Captain America, The Winter Soldier. Very nice. Very nice. Um, All right. I'll try it your way. I'll play Ooh. your game, you rogue. Excellent. Um, so uh, we will start at the very bottom and Thor Ragnarok. Captain Marvel, Age of Ultron, Howard the Duck, Thor, Iron Man 2, Thor the Dark World, Infinity War, Avengers, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Guardians of the Galaxy, Homecoming, The Incredible Hulk, Doctor Strange, Ant-Man, Guardians 2, Black Panther, little bit of a change. The first Avenger. Ooh. Endgame. Ah. Civil War. Mm-hmm. Iron Man 3. Iron Man. Winter Soldier. Wow. So, so a little there's shake been a little up. bit of a shake-up. Yeah. 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 Little, so, uh, a little bit of a shake-up for both of us. Exactly. So uh, Endgame moved up right now. Uh, as we have it to being number five. So. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty cool, man. Yeah. I dig it. Well, yeah. So very exciting. As you mentioned, uh, we do have one film left in phase three, as we'll be talking about Far From Home. Uh, then we'll be taking some hiatus time, uh, most likely here over the summer months, uh, especially as we, you know, phase four is huge. There's a lot of TV shows. We'll probably be back here uh, in the fall as we continue with Phase 4. But, uh, you know, so far, really appreciate you joining us for Assembling Avengers. It has been a ton of fun to go back. Um, and I have one last question, though, John. Uh-oh. Uh, because I think this is a really valid question. Before we get to telling everybody where they can find us. Yes. Should the Marvel Cinematic Universe have ended with Endgame? Oh, my gosh. 
Ooh, that is a controversial question. And I am going to play the politician, and I'm going to put it this way. I think that this is the moment where the movies should have ended and the streaming series began. They should have used this as their launching point. And I know Disney Plus wasn't quite ready, but I would have taken the hiatus until I could have a streaming platform and say, Marvel finished in the movie theater. If you want more Marvel, you can only get it on our platform. And I think that would have been a big hook for subscriptions. So So kind of in the same way almost that Star Wars has been right now. I mean... <laughs> and should should stay. Yes, <laughs> yes. Give me Bad Batch. Give me Mando. Give me uh, Kenobi. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, I mean, sure, Boca Boba Fett. Who cares? Keep keep it on there. Whatever. That's fine. That is that. That's really an interesting answer because I I think it's really good. Um, I think. I think, in all honesty, for myself, um, the thing that I would have loved to have seen is I would have really liked to have seen them stop. Uh, And I think that it would have been great if they had made the decision to say, we're done. Uh, And, and... If you wanted to do any kind of continuation, I think it would have been interesting to have used uh, the multiverse to hop to another universe. Um, And part of that is because of what you said is that, you know, after this, you were so emotionally kind of drained of everything. It's very hard for me to, to be as invested as I was as we were getting to this point. And now I think too, is we move forward. There doesn't seem to be that drive that you had that you did have. Um, And I think that's the thing. And so I'm, I'm going to say your idea is good, but at the same time, I think they should have just been bold and said, yes, this is the end. And, um, you know, we're going to, we'll do things, uh, we'll, we'll go on to a multiverse and, and move on from there. So, yeah. Well, there you go. I mean, we should be running Disney, right? Isn't that the, that, that's, I mean, that's essentially what we're saying, right? That's, it's clearly the answer. Um, I mean, which, you know. yeah, with that in mind, John, you know, if people want to catch up with us and, you know, see where they want to find you and, and ask, you know, your opinion on the latest Disney news. Where can they find you? Well, you know, uh, actually, I'm still on my uh, Lenten social media fast uh, as we record this. Uh, but you can look for username Kessel Junkie, K-E-S-S-E-L-J-U-N-K-I-E. I'm still active on Letterboxd and Goodreads because, I mean, it's just me posting reviews of things. And, you know, if you want to interact there, that's cool. Um, but it's not your typical social media thing. You can also find me over on the Nerd Party Network, where I am co-hosting two shows. One is called House Lights, where we look at the work of directors. And I co-host that with Darren Moser and Tristan Riddell. And you can also find me co-hosting a what I think is a delightful Star Wars show called Aggressive Negotiations uh, with um, somebody who is occasionally right, 
when he agrees with me, uh, whose name is Matthew Rushing. So, uh, Matt, may, you know, I, I don't know. You might want to check out that show, Aggressive Negotiations, because this guy, Matthew, that I that I co-host yeah. with, he's sometimes yeah. right, but only when it's he agrees with me. Yeah, I, I hear that, that he is... The one that is solely right, though, about uh, Rogue One. So I, I love that guy. Yeah, That's a really so, interesting take yeah, on things. Yeah. That's really interesting. So. <laughs> I haven't heard that. So <laughs> Yeah, you should go back and listen to those episodes. <laughs> anyway, uh, you can find me all over social media under the name MattRushing02, which is uh, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, Vero, all of those type of places. Uh, I'm actually verified on Vero now. Yeah, wow, that's yeah, pretty cool, man. Uh, you can also find me uh, here on the network with the 602 Club, uh, with all of the other shows we're doing in the 602 Club feed, uh, as well as doing The Orb, Literary Treks, Warp 5, and The Unofficial Tango. The Orb's about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Warp 5 is about Star Trek Enterprise. Literary Treks is about the books and the comics of Star Trek. And The Artificial Tango is about Star Trek Picard. And when I'm not doing aggressive negotiations over on the Nerd Party Network, you can find me with a finished show that I did with Drea Kaufman as we talked about every single chapter of the Harry Potter series, one chapter at a time. But thank you so much for joining us. Avengers, assemble. Assemble.